Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. We just finished the Gonstead Extravaganza earlier today. One idea that kept going through my mind all weekend is that we have to learn how to discriminate. I know that discrimination has a negative context in our society, but that's unfortunate because good discrimination is at the core of what we do. Is that confusing to you? Well, let's talk about it, and I think you'll find something really valuable here. For many people, the idea of discrimination often makes the hair stand up on the back of their neck. Nobody wants to be discriminated against, and for good reason. But that's not really what I'm talking about. Throughout your life, on a daily basis, you discriminate. For example, you choose what you want to eat for dinner. That's discrimination based on preference. One of the definitions of discrimination is the power or ability to make fine distinctions. I'm not one to discriminate against people, so when I think of discrimination, that's the definition that comes to mind. It's a powerful concept at the core of Gonstead Chiropractic, the ability to make fine distinctions. That's not a, a skill that you can develop overnight or in an instant. It takes a long time and you can always get better at it. Let's take that food example again. Maybe you don't eat shrimp. It might be because you don't like it. It might be because you're allergic. The point is you discriminate based on the details that wouldn't be obvious to a casual observer. As Gon said, doctors, we have to discriminate. That's how we find subluxations. A patient has a problem with their left leg that you trace back to their L5 disc. Scope reading at L5 disc? But still, you have to discriminate. Is it L5 or S1 or the ilium? In order to discriminate, you must have more information. So we palpate. But still, we must discriminate. At what point do you have enough information to discriminate and make a decision. The funny thing is that sometimes it re it's really easy for us to discriminate. Should I adjust a thoracic or a lumbar? And sometimes it can be very difficult. Should I adjust C7 or T1? The point at which we fail to discriminate well becomes our weakness. We tend to think that we're fairly good at evaluating each vertebra, but that keeps us from realizing we've actually fallen into a pattern. When do you adjust a C3 or L2, or T10, are those all vertebra that you do adjust? Or can you not think of the last time you adjusted one or all of them? If you aren't adjusting those vertebra, or any vertebra for that matter, it's probably because you don't have a good system for recognizing problems with that vertebra, so you would never adjust it because you would never identify it as the source of the problem. Once we realize this is the case, we must do something to change and improve our system. It's basically a blind spot, and those can be devastating because they aren't right in your face calling attention to themselves all the time. It's easy to ignore, which means we usually do ignore it. So once we recognize that our system is unintentionally excluding certain vertebra, we have to do something to bring them back in so we don't fall into a pattern of adjusting the same vertebra on every patient. That's an easy trap to fall into, and many experienced docs have done it, even against their better intentions. Discrimination is the ability to make these distinctions that lead to better decisions, but it's a skill that must be developed over time. It doesn't come naturally. So we only develop this ability when we know we need to develop this ability. My purpose is to make it known. Now your purpose is to be mindful throughout your day of when it is necessary for you to be discriminating and to improve your ability to do it. 
Not every patient demands of us that we have a high level of discrimination, but some do. And when it's essential and the patient is before you, it's too late to develop if you don't already have it. So we prepare when it's not needed so that we'll have it when it is. In fact, the whole gist of this weekend at the seminar was to prepare for a future that's not yet upon us, but it soon will be. The other thing that captured my attention this weekend was the discrepancy between the doctors and students. Students are obsessed with giving better adjustments, and they should be. Giving a better adjustment is often the difference between getting a patient well and leaving them the way you found them. I don't want to suggest in any way that this is different from what it should be. It's exactly right. Doctors, on the other hand, are compelled to understand what's happening in their patient's body and how this information might help them to deliver better care. Now, here's where both the student and the doctor are the same. They're both hunting for answers at the edge of their ability. The student tries to figure out the adjustments that have eluded them. The doctor tries to figure out how to help the patient that they haven't quite figured out how to help just yet. I'm not complaining about this or suggesting it's bad. I merely find it curious that we are consumed with helping those that we haven't helped yet, while quickly forgetting about those that we have. This often happens to the extent that we forget to work on the things we're already good at. John Maxwell first introduced me to the idea that we should work on our strengths and not our weaknesses. The explanation for why goes like this. In any given area, if you work really hard, you can raise your ability by about two levels. Therefore, if you're at two at something, let's say it's singing, and you work really hard, you can become a four. Unfortunately, that's still below average and a four still isn't very good. But what if you were a seven and you work really hard and you become a nine? People will pay for eights and they stand in line for nines. Now, I realize that we can't just let our cervical adjusting be a two or a three forever. We need it to be an eight or better. But that gives you an idea of how hard you must work if you're going to get there. This obviously doesn't work for us as chiropractors, but it did make me realize that I shouldn't be so focused on working on my weaknesses that I neglect to work on my strengths as well. I guess that's my caution to you as well. You need to work on your weaknesses, but don't do it at the expense of working on your strengths. Pushing your ability from a 7 to a 9 in some area of ability, any area of ability really, could be a difference maker for you. Before the seminar began, I was talking with Chris Meyer and Patrick Ryan. We were talking about all the research that shows that the only way to gain confidence is by failure. This is true to such an extent that failure isn't just a necessary evil, but it's actually the path to success. It's only when you fail that your brain undergoes neuroplastic change. You can't get that from listening to somebody or observing them, but only from active failure. The more failure, the better. That means that the goal of every school and every student should be, get your, should be to get your hands on as many people as possible and to create as many opportunities for failure as you possibly can. Now, we all know that's not the case. So that means it's up to you to create that for yourself. Get your hands on as many people as possible by seeking out failure as often as possible. And for the doctors? Well, every doctor will tell you that they've learned more from their failures than they have from their successes. So don't get impatient when a patient isn't responding as quickly as you thought they would. Embrace it. It's an opportunity to learn and take yourself to the next level. We have this natural fear of failure, and it's an odd paradox that it's only failure that makes us better. If you're lifting weights, you lift to failure because that's where things grow. It isn't always pleasant or comfortable, but that's probably why we try so hard to avoid it. This last weekend was a great time for growth and learning, 
and an opportunity to hang out with some really incredible people. If you've never been to an extravaganza, I would highly recommend that you make it a priority. Over the weekend, I had many people thank me for doing this podcast and helping you to keep your sanity. So I think it's only fair that I also thank you as well for helping me to keep my sanity. Sometimes practice is monotonous and sometimes it's challenging, but it's always an adventure. It's very easy to fall into routine and to stop paying attention to what happens around you. This podcast forced me to remain observant and engaged. I take notice of everything I see happening around me and I think, what would I tell my younger self about this? So again, I say thank you for giving me a reason to stay focused and aware. Next week, we're going to have two guests joining us, and we'll be covering a case that's filled with clinical pearls. This episode is going to be, has been nearly a year in the making, so you won't want to miss it. Until then, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.